Welcome to Hallowed, Exploring the Lives of the Saints. Episode 31, Pouring Water. I'm your host, Tom Thorne, and in this podcast, I'll be taking you on a journey through the lives, adventures, trials, and triumphs of the great heroes of the Christian faith. Welcome back to the show after our late summer hiatus. I've been away visiting family and celebrating our wedding reception with my lovely wife, but the show will now be getting back to its regular bi-weekly schedule, so thanks in retrospect for your patience. Before we begin today's story, I'd like to give a quick word of caution. This episode will contain some very disturbing subject matter, not suitable for sensitive ears. It's the story of a saint who fought to defend children from their abusers. And as such, it's a fairly dark episode, which shouldn't be played with kids in the car. This is the tale of some of Africa's greatest Christian heroes, St. Charles Lwanga and his companions, the Ugandan Martyrs. These martyrs were born in the 19th century kingdom of Buganda, which, for clarity's sake, I'll simply be calling by the modern name of Uganda. This landlocked region of Central Africa is named for the Ganda people, a culture of herders who have long dwelt in the local hill country. In those days, the Ganda were ruled by a line of kings known as the Kabaka, whose seat rested on a hill in what's now Kampala, the capital. Most of the region was still pagan in the 19th century, with pockets of Islam. The majority of people still followed their traditional animist beliefs and polytheistic religion. But that began to change in the 1870s when Christian missionaries started to delve into the deep heart of Africa and preach to the Ganda people. The first to arrive were the British, Anglican preachers from the Church Mission Society in 1877. A couple years later, in 1879, an order of French Catholic priests known as the White Fathers, led by the prolific missionary Cardinal Charles Lavigerie, started teaching their own faith in Uganda. The name of the White Fathers, in case you're wondering, had nothing to do with skin color. It came instead from the white robes, which they were famous for wearing. Given the time and place we're talking about, I figure that deserves a mention. Both forms of Christianity, Catholic and Anglican, proved very popular among the people of the kingdom and they received the warm supports of its Kabaka, a wise and far-seeing king named Mutesa. But, as was often the case in the 19th century, missionaries were hardly the only Europeans taking an interest in Africa, for this was also the age of the great colonial empires. 
The British and French, in particular, began to scramble for Africa, as it was called, in the 1880s, rushing to claim colonies across the continent before their rivals could snatch them up first. There were hardly any major states in sub-Saharan Africa at the time. Most regions, including Uganda, were tribal in nature, being divided among extended families and kinship groups. While some African rulers did welcome the European colonialists, seeing that the newcomers' wealth and weaponry could help them defeat their tribal enemies, at the price of submission to a foreign empire, other chieftains resisted foreign rule, and fought against all things European, including the Christian faith, which appeared to be an alien intrusion into traditional African life. If you've listened to episode 4 on Blessed Lucian Budavasoa, you may remember a similar story in the case of Madagascar. King Mutesa, who had welcomed both Anglican and Catholic missionaries into Uganda and allowed the spread of Christianity, was one of the more pro-European rulers of this era. Throughout his reign over Uganda, he had courted European influence, both British and French, in an effort to gain the benefits of having foreign allies, without becoming a direct colony. And he had proven successful. By the time of his death, the Ugandan kingdom had been granted the status of a British protectorate, a client of the British Empire to be sure, but still enjoying the right to govern its own affairs within the British sphere of influence. All the while, both Anglican and Catholic Christianity flourished in the kingdom. But this peaceable situation would be shattered in 1884, when King Mutesa died, leaving his son, Mwanga, in charge of the realm. Now Mwanga, unlike his father, was a firm supporter of the old ways, of paganism, of tribalism, of hostility to all things foreign. And he saw Christianity as a disease to be burned out of his people quite literally, as it would turn out. Mwanga thus embarked on a drastic campaign to eliminate Christian influence, starting with the Anglican missionaries, who had first brought Christianity to his kingdom. In 1885, a young Anglican bishop named James Hannington set out westward from British-owned Kenya across the Ugandan highlands, seeking a better route for missionaries to reach the interior parts of Africa. But on the 29th of October that year, as Hannington and his companions were encamped upon the shores of Lake Victoria, they found themselves ambushed by King Mwanga's men. The missionaries were arrested and held captive for a week, before being executed with spears. The story goes that a soothsayer had allegedly warned the king that he would be overthrown from the east, which Mwanga took to mean that the British were plotting against him from neighboring Kenya, 
and that James Hannington was merely a spy for their empire. Whether or not the king had really been inspired by a fortune teller, his reign only got bloodier, as he began a full-scale persecution of the Christians, both foreign and native, who lived in Uganda. The most dramatic purges took place within the king's own palace, where many of the royal household servants, who had converted to Christianity during the reign of King Mutesa in the more tolerant times, were now threatened with death for having abandoned the old pagan ways. And this is where we arrive at the most disturbing part of the story because there was one old way in particular that these Christian servants had abandoned along with the old gods, a practice which was deeply established in the Ugandan royal palace, but which was completely incompatible with the Christian faith. If you ignored my previous warning and you still happen to be listening with children in the car, once again, I strongly recommend that you pause the episode now, as the practice I'm about to mention is definitely not for sensitive ears. Simply put, the kings of Uganda sexually abused underage boys as part of a religious ritual. I say ritual because this Pedophilia wasn't just the personal vice of one wicked ruler. It appears to have been a formal custom, something which kings were expected to do as a kind of religious duty. As sickening as that is, the practice was far from unique to Uganda. It's unfortunately one of the darker facets of despotic governments found in many corners of the world throughout history. Infamously, some of the sultans of the Ottoman Empire had a similar system in place. And needless to say, when many of the Ugandan royal servants converted to Christianity, they refused to allow this custom to go on. The adult stewards intervened to protect the young boys from harm. It was this protection of the children, more than anything else, which provoked King Mwanga's fury against the Christians. The first of the king's defiant servants to incur his wrath was Joseph Mukasa Balikudembe, the steward of the royal household, who was beheaded on the 15th of November, 1885, after protesting the king's abuse of children and condemning his murder of James Hannington, the Anglican bishop. Joseph's old post was soon filled by a new steward, who had been baptized by the Catholic White Fathers on the very same day of Joseph's death. That steward was St. Charles Lawanga. Unfortunately, Owing to the small number of written sources from 19th century Uganda, we don't know all that much about Charles' life before he became steward. 
According to tradition, he was born on the 1st of January, 1860, placing him in his mid-twenties during the events of our story. King Mwanga no doubt hoped that the young Charles would be more pliant than Joseph, more willing to give him his way. But if that was the case, then the king was in for quite a shock. Charles proved just as intractable as his predecessor, refusing to allow the king to abuse his young servants. And so, on the 25th of May, 1886, King Mwanga condemned him and all of his fellow Christians in the royal household to death. As they awaited execution, Charles baptized all of the Christian catechumens and encouraged them to remain true to their faith. And so, when the king offered them the chance to escape martyrdom by returning to the old pagan ways, they remained firm in their Christian convictions. On the 3rd of June, the prisoners were led out of the palace to the site where they were to be killed. There, Charles was separated from the others and consigned to a traditional executioner with the ominous title, Guardian of the Sacred Flame. He was bound to a pile of wood and burned alive perhaps the most horrifying death that many of us can imagine. And yet, while he waited for the rising flames to consume him, Charles said to his executioner, You are burning me, but it is as if you are pouring water over my body. More than twenty Ugandan Christians a mix of Catholics and Anglicans, met the same end that day. And over the next six months of Mwanga's reign, many others would follow. But in the end, Mwanga failed. The king's extreme brutality had disturbed not only his Christian subjects, but the British officers in nearby Kenya, who supported a rebellion against his rule in 1888. This may have just been a pretext for the British to assert their control over the region, but it did have clearly positive effects in the long term for the Christians of Uganda, as the British, whatever else might be said of them, became their patrons, protecting them against their own pagan ruler. King Mwanga would spend the rest of his life fighting for his throne, granting concessions to the British, and eventually dying in exile after several failed attempts to drive out foreign influence. Uganda would remain a British protectorate, retaining the right to govern its own affairs, so long as its rulers didn't attempt anything like what Mwanga had attempted and it would remain in that state until 1962, when it was granted independence. Today, despite the immense suffering which followed decolonization and the brutal dictatorship of Idi Amin, Uganda remains one of the most Christian countries in Africa, thanks in no small part to the example of holy martyrs 
like Charles Lawanga. I think the Ugandan martyrs teach us never to take our faith for granted, and never to assume that its basic ethics will not come under attack from the powers of this world. The truth is that there is a great deal of evil in the world, some of it in very high places. And while we don't individually have the power to stop it, we can find ourselves in situations like that which faced Charles Lwanga, where we have just enough authority to stand up to an abuse of power, even if we can't fix an entire evil system. We would all do well to pray to these martyrs for courage, so that if we ever do find ourselves in their shoes, seeing the signs of a grave injustice, whether it's child abuse or anything else, we'll have the strength to say something, even if that's all we have the power to do in that moment. I think we can also learn from the perseverance of these martyrs. St. Charles and his companions went to their deaths not knowing if any help would ever come, if there would be a brighter future for the Christians of their land, or if the flame of Christianity would be snuffed out with them. And yet they freely gave their lives for Christ, trusting that he would set all things right in time. And that's a lesson which anyone going through hardship however great or small in any area of life, can remember today. St. Charles Lwanga and his companions, the Ugandan martyrs, are commemorated on the 3rd of June in the Catholic Church, though they also have a significant Anglican following, as many of the victims of this persecution were themselves Anglicans. Together, they are the patrons of converts and torture victims along with other causes. Though, as I've said, I think they may be best invoked by all those seeking courage when confronted with evil. As always, if you'd like to learn more about the Ugandan martyrs and foster your own devotion to them, then I've included links to prayers, icons, and other resources in the show notes. There you'll also find links to our Patreon, where you can support the show as well as to my email, where you can suggest future episodes. May St. Charles Lwanga and the Ugandan martyrs come to our aid now and always for the greater glory of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening, and God bless.